The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. Thanks for joining us. I would like to introduce our guest today, Ale. Welcome. Hi, thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into your story. Uh, okay, so um, I'm 44. Um, I'm a mother. I have a son. I'm married. I used to work as a senior researcher uh, for petroleum industry. So I did a lot of technical specific work. And uh, right now I'm a stay-at-home mom. So that's who I am. I used to live here, went to ASU and uh, moved to Boston and uh, came back. And I like it here because of many things, but the weather helps. So I'm going to kind of start your story just by asking you, what was the point where you realized that you first needed to ask for help? What was going on? Well, everything started because I wasn't feeling right. First of all, I thought it was something related to my heart. I went to the doctor. I, I started telling her I had pressure in my chest. And she will gave me she gave me some some medication and the medication didn't do anything, and because I didn't know anything about what's what was coming, I didn't take the medication. I took it for a week. I felt there's no difference, and I stopped taking it. Um, and after that, the doctor said, "Well, you need another kind of help," and she sent me to a psychiatrist. And she saw me and right on the spot said, "You are wrong. You are bad." You, you are really bad, you you are not okay. Um, so she put me in another set of medication, took me out of work, and sent me to an outpatient program. By then, I have never heard or met anyone that had depression, anxiety. So I didn't know what to expect. The first time I went to outpatient program, um, I felt so out of place. And at the same time, I was being so, I, I was being so scared. I'm bilingual. My first language is um, Spanish. and um, But I have lived here for a long time. I have worked for a long time. And I couldn't speak. It was like I forgot the language. I was catatonic. And in groups, I couldn't even participate because I couldn't say anything. Um, so that's when I said, well, there's something really, really wrong. And I was really scared. How long ago was that when you first went to your doctor? It was in 2015. Uh, last half of 2015. Did you initially think it was something medical that might be going on? or Yes, I thought I was uh, having a heart attack I, uh, because of the pressure in my chest. So you mentioned that uh, English is not your first language. What is your cultural heritage? Mexican. I'm 100% Mexican. I uh, grew up in Mexico City and uh, moved here probably... 16, 17 years ago. Mm, I came here because of a school in Mexico. had never heard, had an episode like what I'm describing that I had here. And um, I guess that added to my concern because I didn't see any of this in Mexico. And then I moved here. And the f- for the first years, I'm fine. And all of a sudden, I have this uh, pressure in my in my chest that became anxiety then became depression then became a series of things that came to my life that I have never thought it will happen 
like going to a mental institution, taking medication that was for depression and anxiety. And then from there, I went downhill. Um, growing up in Mexico, I come from a very large family. So honestly, I think that helped me to not be sick because I was always surrounded by people and by food and the things that someone needs to be happy. And here, I'm away from that in the sense that my family is in Mexico and I'm here. So I really didn't have that big of supported system. Uh, my good friends were not even there. And um, so I think that um, make, made everything harder because I didn't know where to go. Like I will talk to my husband, but he he wouldn't know either. He didn't understand what was going on. He he was also scared. And even though I I was very upset with him for a long time, I was able at the end to think about well, how will he how will he react anyway? He didn't understand what was going on either. He just knew we have a little son and I'm the main at that time, I was the main financial support in my family. So it was <laughs> a very complicated um, reaction to chain of reaction. And coming back to your question, um, I think I never felt the need of this because of my culture, because of the way I was raised. And even though after years and with my current situation as far as... Uh, knowing what I have as a mental illness, I go back to my family. And all of a sudden, many of my cousins uh, have been in the same situation. They have depression, they have anxiety. And the, and the moment I opened my mouth, many of them said, oh, it has happened to me too. But even within my family, they have never talked about it, my parents. Then I started digging and one of my uncles uh, had depression. And I didn't know. And when I confronted my mom, like, how come you went through this with me and you never told me? And she said, well, <laughs> we didn't know that was oppression. So, yeah, it's interesting that one person opened her mouth and all of a sudden there's this reaction of a ton of people in my family like, oh, yeah, I, I have that too. But in Mexico, it's harder. What was it like to hear that, you know, you weren't alone, that there were other people in your family with similar struggles? It was reassuring that I wasn't alone. And it was very sad because I thought, wow, if I'm here in this country getting all this treatment, what was for them? Like, without the treatment, without, even though we have support system over there, people didn't understand either. And I felt so sad because so lonely, you know, because no one uh, started speaking uh, to each other. And now I think like, well, we could have had our own support system and group because we were so many. We are so many, but we, we don't talk to each other about it. So after it initially came up, it kind of got put back in a box and on the shelf like it doesn't come out anymore. No, it, it does. Now people are more aware, like as Back with my family, they are aware of what's going on. Um, now, uh, for example, a cousin, one of my cousins approached me. And now we open, 
openly talk about medication, like what they think about taking medication, things that they know treatment will do for them before uh, there was no no word on it. So, yeah, there is an open conversation. Um, I have always told them that I want to have like a small party, but bringing like a counselor to talk in general about this. More because we are a big family, so the next generation generation is coming. And I want to make sure that they understand that will happen. Growing up in Mexico City, what was your exposure to mental health, mental illness? None. Zero. None. Mm. How do symptoms, when you were talking to your family members, how did they describe their experiences? What kind of symptoms were they having? Uh, one of my cousins, uh, one that is the closest to me in this journey, felt exactly the same, that his life was falling apart and he couldn't stop it. And he lost his job. He lost his family and he couldn't stop it. He didn't know what to do. And he ended up in the same situations that I thought, I, that I remember, like trying to kill yourself. He wanted to jump in front of the subway. He ended up in a mental institution at the end. Uh, yeah. Those kind of conversations are still there, and we talk about it. And what was it like for you? I know you said that you felt that pressure in your chest and went to your doctor. What else were you experiencing at that time? For me, was um, what I noticed is that I was a researcher, so I will read a lot and about very technical issues, and all of a sudden I couldn't read. I couldn't understand what I was reading. I will manage uh, Excel. Uh, sheets and I couldn't put them together. I've completely stopped working because I couldn't think about it. Like I didn't understand. Like I never went to school. Then um, I stopped sleeping. I didn't sleep like for a for a month. I will just pace all night without knowing what to do. And people will say, "Well, close your eyes, relax." <laughs> I have done all of that and I cannot fall asleep. I will go to the gym at four in the morning just to have something to do. Um, that's when the madness started, I think. Like I, I couldn't sleep, and from there I went to, I didn't trust anybody. Um, I thought that nobody would understand what was happening. Then I thought that people were after me with medication, so I will take a week of medication and stop taking it. And then in combination of that, my life was a mess. And then I stopped hoping. I, that's when I started trying to say, trying to kill myself. There were a couple of attempts and um, loss of hope. There was no point in living here. You had mentioned earlier that you had gotten outpatient counseling at one point in your journey. Was there a time where you were hospitalized as well? Yeah. So um, outpatient treatment was for 10 days. It didn't do anything for me. Um, Number one, because I wasn't taking the medication. Number two, I couldn't talk. So I was catatonic, and people would think that I couldn't understand English. So it was com a complete waste. Then after that, the psychiatrist said, you should go to the hospital. But at that time, with all these unknowns, and like for me, someone that is going to a mental institution is crazy. And I wasn't crazy. <laughs> Now I think maybe it was, but um, I wasn't crazy. And um, that's what um, 
I finally tried. I jumped from a window and uh, ended up in the hospital by force, you know, like 911. Ended up in a regular hospital. I broke my hand. And thanks to that, I went to a mental institution. And that saved my life because I spent there almost a month. No, I'm sorry. Before that, I had a inpatient uh, experience before the jump. And um, it was horrible. I was treated horribly. I was the only Hispanic person, which brings the uh, point of cultural acceptance. Uh, I, I honestly don't think I'm the only Hispanic person that has this. But I was the only one in treatment. And um, that experience was horrible. And I didn't want to be there, so they can hold you, right? So I left. And uh, well, I didn't leave. Like I told my family, I want to get out from here. So I, I went. I left. And um, obviously, whatever we were trying wasn't working. So I jumped. Uh, well, in the meantime, my my life started falling apart. Uh, I sold my condo because I wasn't working. And I was the main support, and I had to move into with my. In-laws, in the meantime, we were thinking what to do. Uh, I had a little son. Thank God my husband was on top of taking care of him. And my mother-in-law was a big part of taking care of him. Uh, but I was going downhill. So I jumped from the window, ended up in the hospital, and that saved my life. Because from there, by for they forced me to go to a men mental institution. And this is, uh, experience, the almost a month, Save my life. Uh, the first a week, two weeks were hard, really hard. Uh, one more time, I was the only Hispanic person, so no one to talk to in Spanish. Um, I was very paranoid, so I didn't want to talk to my family or friends. Um, but they took care of me. They gave me medication. They fed me until I came out. What do you think was different about that second experience? Well, they were more human to start with. They treat me as a human being. Even though I didn't want to be treated as a human being. Touch on that a little bit. The first time when I was in the the hospital I was saying I didn't I couldn't speak at all, like English or Spanish. Um, but they didn't didn't do any efforts for me. They treat me as I was Hispanic, so who cares? And um, the second time, they saw me as a human being. They were concerned about me doing my hair, changing my clothes, and um, having a very good nurse rescue me. One day, she made me feel I was worth it. We had nurses assigned and social workers and a lot of help. But this nurse took the time to take care of me. And one day, yeah, she, she, one day she helped me to take a shower because I didn't want to take a shower. That, by the way, is a very common symptom. <laughs> and um, she helped me take a shower and something clicked. Something clicked when I said, okay, I'm worth it. And I came back. I came back in the, sense, in the sense that I was me. 
and treatment started working. Medication started working. I started wanting to see my friends. My family was also welcome to my life again. Um, and that saved my life, the human connection. Well, and then all the treatment <laughs> and all the... I had um, ECTs. Uh, ECTs are... It's very hard for me to pronounce the electroshock therapy. Uh, people also think that that's come like the horror movies. Um, it is, but it's not. It's actually pretty safe. And what they try to do is to pretty much jumpstart your brain. So it starts functioning again, and it worked for me. So for people who have never experienced that before, don't know very much about it, what is that experience like? Do they um, give you medication first, or are you awake during the procedure? Oh, uh, uh, no, <laughs> you're not awake. Um, the process, as I leave, the process was um, you have your regular... It, the hospital had its, had its own unit, so they just took me to the treatment. Um they give you, they put you, they give you uh, anesthesia, like when you're going to have surgery. They prepare you, like your heart rate, and making sure you are fine. They wouldn't take anyone with a small cold, nothing like that. And then you go into a room, and the doctor explains to you, we're going to apply it in the front, the left, uh, how are you feeling? Uh, what are your symptoms? I used to tell my doctor, I I can speak English or Spanish. And she, she laughed, like, that's normal. And then you're down. And then you wake up. You don't have any, I didn't have any uh, side effects. Uh, they just take you, like a regular surgery, they give you uh, a cracker, some water, wait for you, like, kind of wake up from the anesthesia and go back to your room. I didn't have any side effects. People have them as far as headaches, for example, or people get too tired and they have to go to, to sleep all day. I wasn't I was in that case. And at the beginning I was scared, uh, but within a week when I started feeling so so well, it's like so worth it to, to open your mind. Um, and try. By then, I said, I will try whatever I have to try. And it worked. So I can hear through your story a couple different things. One is the level of care, right? The level of care that you need is kind of depending on where you're at. Like mm -hmm. you started an outpatient, but that wasn't quite where you needed to be at that point. Mm -hmm. um, where are you now with treatment? Well, after that, um, I had a manic episode um, because First, I was diagnosed as a severe depression, and then I have this crazy manic episode. Brought me back to the hospital. That's when they changed my um, diagnosis. No, you are a, you are a bipolar person, and they changed my medication. And uh, and ever since, I have been doing well. And uh, right now, I have a, a standalone appointment with the nurse practitioner just to keep up with my medication I go I do therapy uh, counseling and um, I devote myself to live 
you know, like enjoy my son, the weather, my marriage, my friends. Uh, and it's better because now I think like, well, people that complain, say, well, <laughs> what are your objectives for this year to stay alive? First of all, and from there, I, I make a list. But um, that's another important thing is that there is life after being treated. And I mean, obviously, in my case, I asked my doctor, can I stop taking the medication at some point in my life? And she, up to now, says, no. I know there's other treatments. I know it is possible if I, can, if I do my work. It's a lot of work. And uh, so I just keep going. So I feel at this time I feel obviously I'm not cured, but I feel very secure in my life, and that is going as far as treatment that is going in the right direction. How's your day-to-day life changed? Oh well, yeah, I have to say goodbye to my previous life. Uh, I'm not working. I haven't worked for almost three years, um, but that even though I don't generate the financial resources I I used to, um, I spend a lot of time with my son. And that have brought a lot of good things for me. Um, I, devote, I devote time with friends. Uh, I cook, uh, do art. Uh, I discover I, I am a very creative person and I have the opportunity to to go and explore that. Um, so pretty much taking care of myself in order to take care of the people I love and enjoying life. The other thing that I noticed about your story was that isolation, that it's it's not something you can do alone. No. I had friends and I have family, not all my family, my mom. I, I will make her worry sick because it will be in the worst of my um of my depression, I will call her at three in the morning. I don't even remember. And she said, I will call her, but what could she do? She didn't understand. Uh, I will tell my husband, he was desperate and aggressive because he didn't understand. So to whom I could go and tell, hey, this is what is happening. It was all these events about as far as going into treatment, stop talking, stop sleeping, that pretty much put me through in the right direction. And that I wish I had someone to talk to. But it's hard because I didn't even know what was going on with me. Talk about what? Would you have known even how to describe it or what to say to someone? Well, first of all, I couldn't even talk, but um, say what? I'm sad? Well, a lot of people are sad. Or I'm anxious. Well, a lot of people live with anxiety. I don't like my work, my job. Well, a lot of people don't like their jobs. It's it's so so many things that I couldn't express. And even if I express them, people will say, "Well, you are living. That's part of life." Um, so now that I'm very attuned uh, with people right now. Like I have a couple of friends. Uh, they come to me because they don't know to whom they can talk to and say, this is how I'm feeling and what do you think? And the, vers- the first thing I ask them is go and ask for help. Look for a, a therapy appointment, talk to someone. And 
Like I can tell you what I know, but it's my case and it will be very different from everybody else. So talk to someone, go to talk to someone in the sense of talk to someone that knows because talk to your family and friends if they are not familiar, it won't be a lot of help. Unless someone has the presence of mind to say you need to go to the hospital, you need to go for do therapy. What do you wish someone would have told you? Honestly, uh, looking back, it's very hard for me to pinpoint how I could have avoided this. In the big picture, for per, uh, in my personal story, I should have accepted that I was unhappy, that I was forcing myself to to do a lot of things that didn't make me happy, and. At that point, no one was going to come and say, well, quit your job or move to another place or all these things that I ended up doing, no one was going to say, do them. Um, so, and I think that by now I feel like, well, thank God I survived the episode so far. Um, I think they were all part of a plan. What plan? I don't know. I think you brought up a lot of really good points um, about needing, when you said that the nurse um, made you feel human again, Mm -hmm. that sense of feeling connected and feeling cared for, especially when we're feeling isolated, and in your case, very culturally isolated in that situation. Yeah, I do want to say something, actually talking about that. Um, I think that the people that work in this, um, area of mental health uh, can do a lot of good and uh, can do a lot of bad like in a, any other place but um, you can really change a life of someone just being nice just following up and you can really, you can really push someone uh, deeper in the hole when you don't pay attention uh, to them as humans as hey something is wrong but I'm here that's an important message to share. Absolutely. We need to be aware of the influence we have on the other people around us. Yeah, so in general, in life, you never know how can you affect someone. But if actually you are working in, in the area, uh, it's even more important. Um, that I saw in the hospital. Um, some patients are, because we are so sick, they they cannot treat us well because as a human being, you can. You you reject those people, right? Not everybody is caught to that, to, to do that, the hard work. But the ones that do the work, they see the rewards a month after and say, wow, I help. Absolutely. So listeners, take that to heart. Go out today and just connect with someone on a human level. Well, I really appreciate you coming here today to share your story with us. Thank you for having me. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcasts. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 